0: This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry.
1: The first thing I wanted to quote to you was Oswald Byers' thesis about antinomianism. He says, in its universalizing of the gospel, the modern age is antinomian, but at the same time, it is increasingly nomistic. And what he means by that is on the one hand, we live in an age where we define it by freedom, uh, where we say that to be human is to be free, good. We live in a world of progress. Um, there's nothing <clears throat> binding you or holding you back from the things that you want to be or do. And in that sense, it's antinomian. But the problem with this is that whatever we as modern people want to be, we have to become that thing. Um, so in this sense, we don't have freedom to exist, but we're always living in a, in a freedom to become something else. So the mo- the modern age finds a lot of ways to... Say you're completely free, but then impose all kinds of laws on you. Um, you know, Bayer quotes Sartre in saying, um, we are not freed for freedom, but to freedom condemned. The, modern, the, the freedom of the modern age um, offers no hope or way out, um, but only an increasingly complex series of things that you must do to be something else. Um, Stephen Paulson also says that uh, in his book, Lutheran Theology, that when Christians hear the phrase freed from the law or freedom from the law, it will either scare us into being nomian, whereby we will be aggressively legalist, or we will be antinomian. Uh, and that just means to be passively legalist. Mm. So, uh, one way or another, as we try to embrace our freedom, um, from the law, the old self will find a way to sneak the law back in through the back door. It's just like what Luther says, um, you know, Agricola. When you remove the law, you're not actually removing it because even if you take away the letters L A W, the thing is still there.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, so <clears throat> we can kid ourselves um, about removing the law, but it's always going to be there because as the title says. It's in the structure of the world. It's um, part of what it means to be human is, it, is to exist in relationship to this law. I thought uh Tully and our former pastor had a really neat post about kind of that concept in relation mm-hmm. to the way that often it's described that you know, the gospel sits between two chasms, two precipice, legalism and license. Mm. Um, and one of his points was that actually license is just another form of legalism, it's a form of, it's uh, denying the law of God being a law unto oneself, creating your own laws, and living according to those laws, Uh, and it's just another way of operating, so that sounds similar, it's kind of similar sphere is what you're talking about, and it makes a lot of sense,
2: Yeah, you can't get away from that.
1: Yeah, and it ends up, the question is, which which law do you make your idol? Right. The one that is revealed to us Or the one that you choose Um, And One side or the other You're trusting in that thing Rather than The gospel Um, This disputation comes As we've said In Luther's later years Um, And from 1530 on The last 16 years of Luther's life Aren't as dramatic Or tension filled A lot of stuff happens But there's not as much escaping from castles, you know, avoiding death threats and all of this, but a lot still happens. Um, One thing that I want you to know in terms of the history of this document is its relationship to the small called articles, um, which is part of the confessions. Um, There was sort of one final attempt to bridge the gap in the Reformation, um, and the Pope and the Emperor called for a council, um, so that bishops can get together to discuss reform. <clears throat> and Luther was asked to write um, a document just explaining what the Lutheran witness is. Um, they thought, well, let's get something further than the Augsburg Confession, because that obviously failed to do it. Um, and he, so he, Luther wrote the small card articles, and the people around him also took this as an opportunity to say, let's get your sort of final confession down um, so that if you die we will have this thing um, that people won't be able to dispute your witness Um, Luther did write the small card articles but they are fairly vitriolic and a bit rambling um, though they're still full of good witness um, to the Lutheran sort of understanding of of faith at that time Um, but the Reformers didn't end up using it for that council because it was kind of a problematic document in some way because it shows Luther's rough edges. Um, So they ended up using the Augsburg Confession anyways. But Luther's working on this in 1536. Um, And during this time, he is extremely ill. Um, He can't even travel to where the council happens in Smallcald because he is laid up in the inn where he's staying he can't even get out of bed, and he almost dies from uremic poisoning. Um, in other words, he has um, kidney stone blockage where he couldn't pass anything for just several days. Um, the records kind of say that his eyes were basically completely yellow. Um, so he's just in extreme pain, lots of, <clears throat> swelling and discoloring and hitting a man right where, you know, it's a terrible, I assume it's a terrible thing to have. I've had some friends have kidney stones, and you get morphine for it, you know. It's a, it's a thing you want to avoid, but he had this for several days. Um, the blockage finally broke as he's on a rough cart ride through a mountain. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I'm sure that was some sort of relief, but that always just sounds like a terrible piece of historical trivia to me. Um, Why was he
2: traveling?
1: Yeah, I think they just thought we have to, we have to get him back. Um, uh, but <clears throat> even after that passed, he had kidney difficulties for the rest of his life. Um, so this is the part of Luther's life um, where you get some of the greatest writings, whether it's the antinomian disputations or the huge commentary on Genesis. And it's also where you get some of Luther's angriest writings, um, you know, particularly towards the Jews or the Turks. For, yeah, the Turks. Yeah. For some reason during this time of his life, uh, Luther really started hating lawyers. <laughs> so you get lawyers, lawyers yeah. For some reason, yeah,
0: <laughs> or just for the classic universal reason, yeah. Um. <laughs> That's a joke. My friends are
1: like, so Luther, but he's he's in small called. He's not doing, or he's working on the small called articles. He's not doing that well, and it's during this time that a guy named John Agricola, his name looks like Agricola, but. Mm-hmm. I it's just Agricola it's like a natural cola yeah he preached a sermon in 1537 that said God's wrath over sin is revealed not through the law but through the gospel it's the message that comes from heaven and that means it's gospel not law Um, and so for Agricola he would say the law only has a civil function you need to leave it to the town hall um, and for magistrates, but it's not for the preacher. The preacher has nothing to do with the law in this sense. And this is a curious thing because <clears throat> Agricola had signed off on the Small card Articles, um, which it says, um, let me find it, Luther says, the foremost office or power of the law is that it reveals inherited sin and its fruits. It shows human beings into what utter depths their nature has fallen and how completely corrupt it is. The law must say to them that they neither have nor respect any god or that they worship foreign gods. Um, that's, that's what Luther says about what the law does. And Agricola had signed off on that. So um, this <clears throat> sort of message that all of a sudden Agricola is saying, all these other things hit Luther um, particularly hard. Um, there were a set of anonymous theses that were going around Wittenberg at this time, which is in the front of this book, um, which you probably didn't... I, I would assume you didn't read necessarily. But through hearsay, um, Luther started to piece together that he thought these theses um, should be attributed to Agricola. Um,
0: well, I, I agree with you, because yes. what you're saying, that, that, that phrase you use. They did. The, the law only belongs in the town hall mm-hmm. is the first thing that was said yeah. by this anonymous writer. Mm-hmm. One of the first
1: things. Yeah, and the issue there is that Agricola never said, okay, I did, these, these are me, or at least representing my thought, um, but Luther went ahead and attributed it to him.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, right. Luther... There's a lot of um, public shaming of Agricola <laughs> that happens um, throughout this, this time. Um, so Luther, even though I think he's right to take Agricola to task on the issue, um, perhaps didn't handle it well publicly um, as, a, as sort of a pastoral failing probably. <clears throat> but Agricola wrote a letter to Luther because Luther had uh, withdrawn support for a book that Agri- Agricola was writing on Um, And he defended that He defended himself saying I agree precisely with what you teach About the law Um, Right after Luther gets this letter He preaches a sermon um, Defending necessary work Of both law and gospel And then Agricola turns around And accuses Luther of proclaiming Two different kinds of justification Um, There's a lot of strange sort of double speak Happening throughout this thing um, after this is when we start getting into the disputations The first disputation happens And Agricola is not there um, The second uh, uh, disputation is the only time When <clears throat> Agricola is actually present And through the work of Agricola's wife um, They help bring some reconciliation between the two um, The problem is that after the reconciliation, Agricola is allowed to continue preaching and teaching, and what does he go on to do, but continue to preach and teach um, what he had been saying before the reconciliation. Um, And this obviously really angered Luther, um, but what angered him even further was this rumor going around that Agricola was just waiting for Luther to die, so that he could really preach and teach precisely what he wanted to. Um, this frustrated Luther so much that he started to identify Agricola with the sacramentarians, the Anabaptists, and Munzer. And, and this anyone he could throw it
2: on the wall with.
1: Yeah. And those, those are the worst people. Um, those are the people that cause peasant revolts. They want to rebaptize you, which is you know, the dumbest thing possible. They deny Christ's presence. They deny justification. Um, so Agricola is very quickly not just wrong on something, but he is the embodiment of all wrongness um, and is set aside um, with, with the evil ones. Um,
2: and Agricola was on the faculty of Wittenberg.
1: Yeah, he, he, <clears throat> he was supposed to be on the faculty earlier But for some reason, he didn't really show up until about, um, I think it was 1536. It was was supposed to have happened earlier, but for some reason, he stayed away.
2: And why did Luther want to pull disputation back as the means to have this public Mm. discourse slash shaming? Because it was, so he could do a smear campaign? Is it that base? Because the disputations had completely fallen out
1: for many years or so. I wouldn't say that they had completely, completely fallen out, but because they were still sort of an academic form of dispute, um, like the sixth disputation is actually a sort of record of what happened um, during a guy's doctoral defense. So they could be used. Um, Luther was just probably one of the few ones that really, really preferred it. Um, so when, when he thought it needed to happen, it seemed like it happened.
2: And maybe was he a humanist? Would he have felt out of his element and disputation? The of-
1: no, I think Agricola would have been just fine with it, yeah. I don't, I don't think his training was particularly in humanism, that I remember at least. Um, he
0: was a pastor, right, Agricola? Mm-hmm. Where was he pastoring? Do you, do you know?
1: Um, I think where he spent a lot of his time was in Brandenburg, which is a little ways away from Wittenberg, but he was, he was in, he was in Germany.
0: Um, Do you have any idea why he want, why he was Lutheran to begin with if he was so doctrinally, you know,
1: divergent from Luther? Well, he was, I mean, he was part of the Reformation just because... He was attracted to the teaching. He thought it got it right. Um, so much of what he argues in the disputation or um, what Luther says he is arguing, the problem is not the premises. It's the conclusion. Um, so he was still taking up Reformation teaching um, but just going with it in the wrong direction. It wasn't that he was going um, against the Reformation teaching itself, if that, if that distinction makes sense. Uh, there's a strange event where Agricola tried to write a retraction um, and he sent it to Melanchthon to revise it so that it would be sort of above board Um, and Melanchthon did that and uh, Agricola didn't send it to Luther but he sent it to Luther to ask him to rewrite it which was very strange and you can look at this on page 14 In a footnote, and Luther is um, a little snarky with it. Um, He says, Master John Agricola of Eisleben wishes to withdraw what he taught or wrote against the law or the Ten Commandments and to stand with us here in Wittenberg as the confession and the apology did before the emperor at Augsburg. And if he should later depart from this or teach otherwise, it will be worthless and will stand condemned. Um, So, um, this, you know, plays into the fact that Agricola always felt poorly treated by Luther. Uh, In fact, um, a number of Agricola's friends thought that the public shaming went a little too far. Um, Agricola tried to have an impartial investigation happen um, for someone else to come, come in and look into the dispute with the elector who was the ruler of the group um, but when this started for some reason Agricola just fled the city and he left and he served as um, court preacher for the elector of Brandenburg again for a Lutheran ruler but um, a Luther, you know, he just got out of town and um, Luther kept going on the issue because it's after Agricola gets out Um, that that, you know, final disputation happens where they're still doing after this. Um, So we're talking how
0: many years here?
1: This really happened over about four years. Four years. Yeah. Finally, Agricola does send uh, a full retraction, a printed retraction, and he basically just says what Melanchthon had written. Everybody accepted the retraction, but Luther never trusted the guy again. Um, So, it probably wasn't as bad as Luther's relationship with Erasmus, but this guy was definitely on the sort of to-watch list, um, someone that couldn't be trusted, and a lot of that was just simply Agricola's fault. Um, Luther had shamed him. He had probably gone about doing things in the wrong way, but Agricola continued to be you know, sort of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Um, so this is just a messy, messy um, situation all around. Um, blame can sort of be attributed all over if you look at the historical record. Um.
2: And does Melanchthon play any part in all this, except in the you <coughs> mentioned, a you know, great moment and Proof his letter and all that. Just wondering about the politics that's going on. Mike's a little bit older and wiser now. He's crafted Augsburg. He's he's got a voice, but he didn't he didn't come in and really, say
1: much did. He, he did. Um, Melanchthon disliked antinomianism just as much as Luther did, um, but he could he could balance it better between we have to crush this false teaching and. I know Agricola, and he's my friend. (laughs) Um, He was sort of working in the background a lot, um, but he has a sort of host of writing um, trying to overturn the antinomian teaching. It's just not as well known. I think it's called, I I never know how to pronounce this Latin word, Dei, point Uh, it's just on repentance, Uh, and that is where he is dealing with Sort of Agricola and this teaching. Um, Timothy Wingert has a has a good um, book dealing with Melanchthon and Agricola's relationship. If if that is something that you'd be interested in,
0: I find this I find the whole thing amusing because there's a great historical irony here. This is a really serious theological work, mm-hmm. but if Luther hadn't been an a-hole, he wouldn't have kept <laughs> writing and, and kind of fleshed it all out. Uh, because he was writing it in order to be polemical. Yeah. But he didn't have to be polemical to write this, but he wouldn't have had a historical occasion to write it if he hadn't just kept pouring gas on fire. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a, this historical type that plays out, which is often the founder of a movement is not the best person to perpetuate a movement. <clears throat> uh, the founder of a church is not the best person to perpetuate a church. I mean, you see this in church planning all yeah. the time. Because um, the person who starts it has different gifts than the person who can run it. That's true. Right. Um, but it's—I mean, it's—it's it's a really fantastic book, and so I mean, he's really dealing with some really solid ideas and concepts. So yeah. I just find—I just find the ir- irony. I, I don't know. God can use sin. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he can use sickness. I mean, I think a lot of this is coming from his not feeling well all mm. the time. I mean, he's oh. not a he's not a healthy man. Yeah. And he can't get any help, and consequently, he's, he's got acid coming out of his uh, pen.
2: Yeah.
1: Sorry. Yeah. When yeah, you have to build build it build like like a, to it. Like it. <laughs> <go on>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um,
1: Sorry, that was that was, was, that was the best one. Yeah, <laughs> what? Uh, when you have to take a rough cart cart ride through a mountain so that you can go pee, you're in you're I in a bad state.
2: Working. I mean, I've, I like to work. But I was like, I'm phoning this in.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. You know yeah. what helps though is just good German beer and wine. <laughs> well, it doesn't help when you need to get yeah. rid of it later. That that,
0: but, that exacerbates. Temporary
1: temporary help. In the kidneys, yeah. yeah. Um. You know, it's it's an interesting point that you raise, though, that um, Luther wasn't a politician or an ambassador. Um, (laughs) There's a common saying that the the first... It's basically saying the first Martin would have never survived had the second Martin not come along. Mm. Uh, And that's a statement particularly about Martin and Kimnitz. The Lutheran movement would have never continued. It would have just fragmented and... um, became more and more fractious if someone else hadn't come along to put the pieces together. Because neither Luther nor Melanchthon were that person. Like neither. They were
0: institutional mm-hmm. perpetuators. Yeah. That's, yeah, I just find that an interesting part of history. Because it was already fracturing. We've got Antinomians, we've got Anabaptists in mm-hmm. Germany, and the peasant revolt. I mean, in 20 years, Luther had wrought a... Fairly chaotic world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so, what was the Martin that came along that kind of sowed all this? That took took the problems and.
1: His, his name is Martin Kimnitz, Chemnitz. C H E M N I T Z. Martin Chemnitz. And he's responsible for a lot of the later writing in the Formula or in the Book of Concord. Um, Luther would say that um, the Antinomians had two major problems. Um, First is that they say uh, Christ has formally removed all sin. He's actually and literally taken all sin away from the person. It says thus, they ridicule sin, and whenever they hear of sin, they smile and smirk. Um, And this led to a poor ecclesiology. He would say because they have this view of sin they pretend that the church is pure and whole without any stain and blemish Um, so that when we hear about Christ warning about sin or admonishing sin it's just this possibility of future sin Uh, it's a very hypothetical um, possibility Um, and Luther thought this completely undid the reality of justification and the way that faith latches onto christ as mediator because if you don't have any sin he would say you don't have any need of christ and christ loses his role as propitiator and mediator of you in your daily life in and out
0: these courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs Knox students can take one week or semester length courses in person at our south florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.